Well, as I said already, it is so good to be back home in Vancouver, Coquitlam, Tri-Cities. It's good to be home, man. You don't know how good it is until you try and go away and live at Disney for a few days. Lord Jesus. I want to tell you so many stories of what happened at Disney, but I cannot embarrass my kids to that extent. They will all stay in my heart. I might tell a couple little things, but man, things got crazy at Disney. We also mortgaged our house to go, but we're just believing God for a restoration of that which we've invested into their lives for the glory of God. It's good to be home. I missed, one thing I, I missed was that right before we took off and we did a week actually of ministry down there followed by a week of what quote unquote, we have kids, so I say quote unquote vacation. <laughs> um, right before we took off was art conference and it was amazing to be a part of that. Pastor Troy already gave a shout out to those who served, but I need to take another moment because I wasn't here for that and I want to celebrate those who served at ARC conference this year. If you don't know what ARC is, ARC is the Association of Related Churches, and it's a gathering of church planters and church leaders from, really began in the States, but now it's really impacting Canada. And the goal is that as a gathering, as a collective of people in churches, that we would help train and raise up and support and resource church planters and church leaders to help build growing, life-giving churches. And it's just great to be a part of that, uh, that kind of mentality, that kind of culture. And so this year, more than 700 uh, church leaders from across Canada came to Surrey, B.C. And here's what I want to celebrate, that of the 150 volunteers that made conference happen this year, 40 of them were from Resonate Church. And so if you served, would you stand to your feet? I know you didn't do it for a platform or for any recognition, but if you did anything, come on, can you stand to your feet so we can celebrate you? You guys took time off work, invested. I mean, it was amazing. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. So like the people that come to the second service have a much bigger heart to serve, but that's okay. That's okay. It's all good. Um. You know, I'm actually moved to think about the way that we serve as a church. They took time off work to show up. And one of the things I noticed that you could not pull into the parking lot. You couldn't walk into a service. You couldn't get served food without seeing someone from Resonate serving you with a smile. In fact, if you went behind the scenes and you saw behind the building, you saw Resonate church people carrying garbage with a smile. People who took time off work to carry garbage so some other church leader from across Canada could come and see what happens when you get in an environment where church isn't about us. It's about Jesus. Him alone. And what he's done for us, come on, somebody, we then turn around and invest in other people. And to those of you who served, and, and maybe you didn't even serve, but you give any amount to Resonate Church, you need to know that we take uh, uh, 2% of everything that's given here every week. We turn around and we invest it into ARC to plant new life-giving churches in Canada. So whether you served or whether you give, in some way, you will not know the influence that you are having in the nation until we get to the other side, until we see Jesus. And you can see the faces of people people whose lives you've impacted and you've influenced. And I just love that in a culture that's so increasingly withdrawn and isolated that there's just something happening in this room that causes us to say, let's do life together and serve some other people. It's just beautiful. We love it. One more time. Come on, let's give it up for our team serving on the next level. 
And I am excited for this message this morning. Someone told me, I'm always happy when you come back and preach after a vacation. And I said, I don't know why you feel that way, because I come back after vacation, and I feel like I need to get saved. I'm like, Lord, I need you this morning. My hand is up, Lord, because it's just crazy when you have to do eight, uh, eight like we did ministry for a week, but then the second week was like seven, eight days. It's a road game every day in your family. Come on, parents. You know, a road game for a day or two is one thing, but when you're eating, you've got to take your kids to... And be calm in three restaurants. When it's your house, they can throw the apple at you. But when you're in a restaurant, it takes another level. And so I'm just happy to be here. Maybe, I, I don't even know that it's a spiritually significant thing, that the elevated anointing when we're home. It's just that I'm so glad to not have to chase them anymore. It's going to be a good morning. And we're in this message series called Calling Out a Champion, and it's really a great segue to go from what we did at Art Conference to what we're doing in this series. Because here's what I believe, is that the same God who said that he hates pride, detests it, that he loves humility, that those who are the least in the kingdom of heaven are the greatest, that God who, who says all that about pride and humility, that same God wants to call out influence, wants to call out leadership, wants to call out significance, not for your glory, but for his. That God wants to call out a champion. And I am believing for this morning that by the time we go, we will have received from God's word some encouragement that God sees more in you than you see in yourself. Because you have no idea that some of you literally have no idea the potential of what God put inside you. I believe it's my job today to do my best from God's word to help unlock some encouragement that there's more inside of you than you see in yourself. If he's made you, he made you for influence. And so this morning we're going to go and we're going to study from God's word an individual that God wanted to call out a champion in, but someone who was stuck in timidity and fear. Someone God had to undo some of the messages that constantly played in his mind in order to be able to call out the champion him. We'll get there in just a minute. But first, I do want to tell one little story about my kids. But maybe this is not just you with kids. It could be everyone in the room, whether this happens to you at work or it happens to you um, with your spouse. I know this happens to me. But most of the time, this happens with my kids where they're talking, but I'm not really registering what they're saying. Like, who knows what, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're speaking, but I'm not registering the words they're saying. I see some, some married people nudging and looking at one another. Don't. That's why I made this about my kids. I could have made it about the marriage space, but I'm making it about the kids this morning because you know what I'm saying. Um, so my kids are talking, but I'm not hearing them. And I think for me, it's not that I don't want to hear them. I love them. I want to hear everything that they have to say. It's just that they ask a lot of questions. <laughs> Gets a little overwhelming from time to time. We're on our way to Disney this week, and Alencia from the backseat, you would expect that she would be saying something about the princesses, like, who are we going to meet, and what's it going to be like, and Daddy, I'm so excited. We're pulling through the gates of Disney World, and she says, Daddy, does Jesus make food in heaven? <laughs> it's like, honey, I don't know. Your mom knows. Go ahead, ask her. <laughs> We're pulling into Disney parking. Does Jesus make popsicles? Does Jesus make pancakes? Does Jesus love fish? I, like, it's just, I, 
at some point, I don't want to turn my brain off to what they're saying, but just the reality of the constant questioning. Why is the sun hot? Because God built it with fire. Why did God build it with fire? I don't know. God wanted to, I don't know. I don't know the answer to you. Stop asking questions. Or like this one. This was so good. After we left meeting Ariel, Princess Ariel, uh, at Disney World, Avia turns to me as we're walking out, and she says, Daddy, why did it look like Ariel had legs under her mermaid tail? I was like, honey. <laughs> it's heartbreaking when they reach that age, when they start to figure it out. Realize you've been quasi-lying to them about a lot of things in their world, but Lord help us. They're talking. I want to hear them, but I'm not registering what they're saying. This is your faith life a lot of the time. God is talking, and you want to hear him. But for some reason, you are not registering what he's saying. There's an exact example of this in Scripture that we're going to study this morning from God calling out a champion in the Bible that would be one of the greatest influencers in the kingdom of God in the pages of the Bible. A man by the name of Moses. We see this play out in his life, and you might be thinking, I'm nothing like Moses. Like, Moses is this great leader of a nation and a million people. I'm not like Moses. Yeah, but every one of us has the same hearing issue. We can learn from this together this morning. I want to set up the story, though, with who Moses was a little bit about his backstory. Maybe you're new to church. Moses was born at a time when the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt. And the uh, pharaoh in Egypt saw that The Israelites, the Hebrew people, were growing in number, and so he got a little insecure, decided that he was afraid they would eventually outnumber the Egyptians and maybe turn the tables. And so he decided that he would commit genocide and kill all the baby boys that were born to the Hebrews. Uh, Moses was born into that reality, and his mom hid him for three months, the Bible tells us, at the beginning of Exodus. But eventually she realized she could not hide his cries. And so she took and put him in a basket and sent him out into a river. And the Bible doesn't tell us what she was hoping would happen. But I don't think there's a lot of positive outcomes to a baby in a basket in a river. Like maybe that he would float 100 miles away, get out of the nation. Someone would eventually find him and he would be okay. But he doesn't even float out of his mother's sight until he gets stuck in some weeds. And it's there that perhaps the only person in the entire country that could save him from the wrath of Pharaoh sees and hears his cries, and it's no other than the daughter of Pharaoh. She sees this little baby. She decides that she's going to take him as her own. It's actually this Egyptian princess. I'm still stuck in Disney reality. It's this (laughs) Egyptian princess that gives the baby the name Moses. Raising him in the household under the same roof as the man who wants to kill every single Hebrew baby boy. I don't know about you, but I like to try and picture some of the things the Bible doesn't talk about. Like, what was it like for Moses at the dinner table? Like, mommy, could you sit between me and grandpa? He's giving me those eyes again. You know, like, I don't want to sit next to... What was it like when you have the, you know, you have palace hallways. It's a long way and it's just you and your grandfather and you know that he wanted you dead. What was it like? Awkward, uncomfortable. And what I believe God wants to show us in Moses' reality is that on the way to influence, God always leads you through the palace of discomfort. 
And I don't think in the church we really get this very well because we, we talk a lot about the goodness of God and we say that God is going to work all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we think God's will is what feels good, comfortable, and simple. And God is good, and he does work all things for good. And if you open your Bible to pretty much any page, you're going to see that God has called you, number one, to influence. And if he's called you to influence, you at some point are going to find yourself in the palace of discomfort. And I think it's this way because of the calling God put on your life. Your calling is to rescue people. Our calling is to reach into some dark places. Jude says it this way. Save others by snatching them from the flames. And so I think God leads us through the palace of discomfort to teach us that God actually can rescue you from fire. See, you will not get close enough to fire to rescue anybody unless you believe and have seen that God can rescue you from some fire. So God's going to lead you through the palace of discomfort on the way to any kind of influence, well, Moses, through the palace of discomfort, he notices that God rescues him, and he's saved him, and he's protected him, and this starts to build a little bit of swagger into Moses, like, I can do something with my life. I can rescue people. I can make a difference. And we find this in the beginning of Exodus chapter 2, where it says, one day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people. And looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, there's a couple of interesting things to notice about that little short piece of text. Number one, I love that Moses is speaking about Moses in the third person. Like Moses writes the first five books of the Bible. And so Moses talking about Moses is kind of funny to me. (laughs) Moses speaking about himself. There's no closer you could get to the story Then Moses talking about himself. We know this is an up-close, personal look at what actually happened. The other thing that stands out to me is that Moses talks about his people. And he says that he actually didn't spend any time with them until he'd grown up. Isn't that interesting? How God gave him a heart for this group of people that he didn't actually spend any time with. Now, I hear a lot of people ask, and it's a good question, and so don't be afraid to ask me this question ever, but people will ask and they'll say, well, how do I know God's will for my life? And I think that too often we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what God wants us to do with our lives instead of spending time figuring out who God wants us to live for. Like, who are your people? Who's God called you to? Who does your heart break for? If you're trying to figure out the call of God for your life, Who breaks your heart? Who moves you? Who are your people? You might not even, I'm not talking culturally, like this is, in this case, a a nation. I'm not talking that way. I'm talking about just who does God break your heart for? You get close to that group of people and you start doing anything for that group of people. I can pretty much promise you it will be very simple to figure out God's will for your life. Who are your people? Moses says twice, my people, and he's not even spent very much time with them. He's got a heart and a passion for these people. Well, reading on in the story, he he looks at the injustice and he, he wants to fight for them. He's been in the palace of discomfort. He's seen God rescue, and so he believes, I can rescue somebody. We read this in verse 12. It says, he looked this way and that. Seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, 
Behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? So notice, when Moses first steps out to do something great for God, he's bold. I'm going to take decisive action. I'm going to step in. I'm going to try and rescue. I'm going to try and make some things right. Verse 14, this is the answer he gets back from, remember, one of his people. This man answered him and said, who made you a prince? And there could have been no greater insult to Moses. Remember, he's lived his whole life in a palace, feeling like he didn't belong there. Surely thinking, but if I could get around my people, I would belong He gets around his people, and the very first thing he hears is, hey, man, who made you a prince? Makes you think you're somebody. What makes you think you belong here? You don't belong here either. And what you'll notice and what I think we will all discover as we step out and try and live the champion life God has called us to is when you dream big and when you think big and you start believe God's called you to influence, and I don't mean big in the sense of title and position. Come on, Pastor Troy dropped a great message that the God calling out a champion in you is not a title, position, or a place you will end up. The journey is the destination. It's all about who are you serving right now in this moment. That's God calling out the champion. When you dream big to live a life like that for your people, and you step out and you try to do something significant for the kingdom of God, you are going to find that your enemy knows your area of weakness and is going to press on the deepest wound of your heart. For Moses, it's rejection. He was abandoned by a loving mother, but nevertheless sent into a river. So you can imagine he spent the rest of his life feeling like, oh, I hope you don't reject me. I hope you don't push me away. Oh, but if only I could get around my people. See, the enemy knows the area of your greatest weakness. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to put a wound on your heart through which he can deposit lies that will keep you from hearing God's voice. Here's the illustration this morning. I want you to pretend that this orange is your heart. And what the enemy wants to do is take whatever that fear is on your life. And for you, it might not be rejection. For you, it might be a fear of failure, like that voice that says it's not going to work. For you, it might be a fear of insignificance that keeps you striving to look like somebody and be somebody in the eyes of people around you. For you, it might be a fear of abandonment, that, that you will end up alone, or a fear of betrayal, that you shouldn't trust people. Whatever it is, there's a fear on your life, a fear of rejection, a fear of insignificance, a fear of a bit, whatever it is, the enemy wants to put a wound on you. In fact, for all of us in the room, we know this is true. There has been a wound put on our hearts. And when you step out to do something great for God, the enemy is going to take that big wound, the one that he knows better than any other wound, and he's going to take that wound and through which he wants to insert a straw that he begins to deposit some lies through. He knows if he can take that wound and press on that thing, he can begin to lie to you. And though God is speaking to you and you want to hear God, all you will hear is that same lie that you've heard for your whole life spoken over you, not even by someone that really knew you, a guy that just saw you in the street and said, who made you a prince? Or maybe it was somebody that knew you. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was someone that shouldn't have spoken that thing over you. Whatever it is, there's a wound and 
And the enemy wants to, to put this straw into the heart and deposit one repetitive lie to continuously keep you from hearing God's voice. The Bible actually defines this and says, what this is right here, that's a stronghold. It's an area where the enemy has the ability to keep depositing a lie that you do not identify as a lie. And it keeps us from hearing God's voice. Well, what does God do in response to this? Moses feels the rejection. He grew up in the palace of discomfort, felt bold, took a step for God. It didn't work out. And so he runs away, flees to a foreign nation, runs from the call of God, no longer trying to do anything for his people. But it's in that place God shows up in Exodus chapter 3. In a God moment, a burning bush, God sets a bush on fire, but the bush doesn't burn up. How many people would know that you'd stop right there and be like, something weird is going on right here. There's something on fire, but it's not burning up. I'm going to pause for a minute. God's got my attention, okay? In that place, God says, come on, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses now says this to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Isn't it interesting how the language goes from my people to your kids? Like, I identified them as mine, but now they're yours, God, and I don't really want anything to do with them. The progression of Moses from the palace of discomfort to a place he thought he could do something, to trying and hearing a voice create a wound, and now the lie of the enemy comes along and says, Who are you? And I think it's right here where God wants you to insert yourself into this story. Because in this series, this is not just an opportunity for you to come to church and you to hear another message. Us to sing some songs together. The, the Spirit of God is in the room in these weeks to speak to a vision for your life. To call out a destiny for you. To get you to begin to dream again and think again what God might want to do through your life. Nevertheless, there is a lie of the enemy that is going to keep you from actually hearing what God is saying. Though God is talking and you want to hear him. Well, here's what, here's what God says. Moses is pushing back and says, God, who am I? Moses, in fact, takes that five-word rejection. Who made you a prince? Basically repeating it back to God and says, who am I? Well, God gets a little aggressive. Says, here's what I'm going to say to you, Mo. I promise that I will bring... Uh, uh, this burning bush, physical manifestation of the presence of God. God comes along and now says, I promise. How many think that if God had a physical manifestation of something he could do, and he showed up and started to say, I promise, that we would believe that God would be speaking to us? Not the case. Watch this. God says, I promise I'm going to bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. So God is saying, Moses, they're going to listen to you. But there's this stronghold that the enemy keeps depositing this lie physical manifestation clear that god is here his voice is speaking moses they're going to listen and the only thing he hears is through a wound in his heart a lie the enemy has been speaking to him for years 
Listen to what Moses says back to God. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. What's the lie that has you living small and staying quiet? What's the wound that started it all? Because today, God, by his spirit, wants to actually pull the pin. Begin to heal up that area of your heart. God is speaking. You want to hear him. He's actually telling you something today. But there's a lie that's coming in an open door that God wants to close today. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and this is what he told them about fighting this lie. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Come on, church. Our fight's not against people. It's not against culture. We're not raging against people in the world around us. I think sometimes we get so caught up in this. We're like, man, the world is just going crazy and things are going sideways and people are thinking messed up thoughts and wow, we just got to retreat to our Christian circles and, and hopefully God works things out. No, we're not fighting people. We're not fighting culture. It's a spiritual battle. How do we fight it? He says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they've got divine power to do what? Demolish strongholds. To pull the pin of that U-Haul trailer of baggage you've been carrying around. To remove the straw from the wound that the enemy knows is on your heart. Maybe for you it's, it's something someone said, like Moses. Maybe you could go right back to that time and that place. You know, it's funny. The brain actually keeps us from doing this. As a defense mechanism, it often will block out some of those most painful memories of our heart and our life. And so you might not even know the thing that was said or recognize that that is the wound. Maybe you need to just spend some time with God and say, God, would you... Would you begin to expose that wound that the enemy deposits the lies into? Like, help me even to see the memory that I block out and, and I don't let myself see. Why? God wants to take you there. And listen, for some of you, it's not something someone said. It's actually that you feel disappointed in God. Because you can deal with what they said to you, but you have not been able to get over the fact that you don't feel God was there. I believe the Holy Spirit has and will give to you the power to identify that that is a lie of the enemy being deposited into a wound that was not caused by God, but the enemy wants you to believe it. See, what, maybe you prayed for someone to get healed and it didn't happen the way you wanted to see it happen. And so though today God is saying to you, ask, believe. Increase your faith. Have some mustard seed faith to believe I'm going to do something great. Nevertheless, there's a lie that's coming into the heart that just says stop asking. Don't believe. Maybe for you it's not what someone else said or even a disappointment in God. Maybe it's just you need to forgive yourself. That's your wound. 
is something that you have not let yourself off the hook for, and it's keeping you living small and staying quiet. I'm not talking about trying to live for a position. I'm not trying to talk about living for a platform. I'm talking about living for kingdom influence, of getting to the place where you arrest, that God has arrested your heart, and you'd say, God, I want to, with the time I have, do as much for your kingdom as I possibly can. But in order to do that, God's down to deal with that woundedness in your heart. You know what he said? He said, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he actually put in your hand the ability to demolish the stronghold in the name of Jesus. And so in a moment, we're going to go back into a time of worship. I don't know whether God's going to speak it to you in a moment, in a worship song, or in a time of prayer this week. But I believe God wants to identify something that's on your heart that you simply need to say. And this idea of spiritual warfare, sometimes we get a little bit weird and we think it's not for me. No, God has given you the authority to deal with this thing. The enemy wants you to think that spiritual warfare is spooky and weird and kooky. No, it's just you actually saying, I'm a son of the Most High God. And I know Jesus died and loved for me. And enemy, I can see you got a little straw into my heart and you just keep telling me that I am not enough and I'm not gonna make anything in my life and nobody's gonna be there for me. And I just wanna let you know today that in the name of Jesus, that lie's gotta stop. So God, I thank you for your presence in this place today, God. I thank you that this is not just a mere gathering. We didn't just come for fun today. We came for freedom in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, that in these next few moments as we respond with worship, as we respond in some prayer, God, that you would identify, already you have been identifying some things holding us back, keeping us small. When you've called us to change a city, change a nation, and impact our world, God, call out the champion in the room today, God. Not for us, not so that we can have more stuff or be bigger or better but so that we can literally rescue people out of fire. Thank you, Jesus. Now, God, in these, in these moments together, God, Holy Spirit, identify and then begin to heal and give courage in this house that we could rise up and speak the name of Jesus. God, I speak healing over wounds of rejection. I speak healing in Jesus' name over wounds of abandonment. I speak healing in Jesus' name. Come on, join with me, church. This is not just my prayer. This is your prayer. You've got the authority. I take authority, God, in Jesus' name over, over the fear of rejection, the fear of not being enough, the fear of insignificance. Heal our hearts, God, that we would be pure and ready to rescue people in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church, would you stand all over the room? We're going to respond in a time of worship. I'm just going to encourage you to press in with all that you have as we sing this together. I've been strong and I've been broken within a moment. I've been faithful and I've been reckless in every bend. I've held everything together and watched a shatter. I've stood tall and I have crumbled in the same breath. I have rambled and I have trembled towards surrender. Chased my heart and drifted, drifted home again. Wanted blessing till I've been desperate to find redemption. Every time I turn around, Lord, you're still there. I was 
Thank you, God. Well, maybe in this moment, it's not just that there is a little bit of a wound on your heart that the enemy is, is dealing with and you need to give to God today. Maybe it's today you need to give God your whole heart. Like you've never made a decision to give all of your heart to him to say, I'm in, I'm yours, I receive your love. What I'm talking about is that the Bible actually says that sin separates us from God, but His grace and His mercy demonstrated through Jesus Christ on the cross. It alone saves you, not you getting better, doing better, or trying harder, but God taking your heart and restoring it and making it whole and free so that you can know closeness and intimacy with God. If you're in the place this morning and you never made that decision or you made it at a time in your life, but you know you've walked away from God and not just like you've had a bad week. I mean, you know you walked away from God and you're in this place today and you wanna surrender your whole heart to God. I wanna pray with you. And we're just gonna pray a closing prayer and it will be very simple because it's not the words that save you. It's actually the spiritual condition of your heart to say, I'm in, I'm yours. You're already in that place. But I wanna lead you in some words that from your own mouth, you would declare what you're doing today in your own heart. So if that's you, you wanna pray a closing prayer with me of surrendering your life to Jesus to, to say today, I wanna leave my past behind and I wanna surrender my life wholeheartedly to God. Today, I wanna to become a Christian. If that's you in the room today, would you shoot your hand up, hold it up for a minute? There's no one looking around. It's just between you and God. You'd say, yeah, that's my prayer today. Would you include me in that prayer, Pastor? And I'll just give you a moment to respond and say, yeah, don't leave me out. I don't wanna miss this moment. This is my day. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. Amazing. So proud of you for making that step and that decision today. Most importantly, God sees your heart. Maybe I didn't see your hand, but you're saying today's my day. Let's pray together. Come on, resonate. Help, help those who've said today's my day to pray this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, give you my all-in surrender. My life is yours because I believe you love me. You died to save me. And so I receive that love put you first in my life and choose to follow you my heart's yours in Jesus name Amen come on church we put our hands together for those who prayed that prayer